0: In the beautiful West 7th neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, you're listening to The Capital City Podcast. Well, this isn't exactly an introduction. You guys are well aware of, of who Zach is, but uh, I like to just say a, a few words when someone is uh, preaching for us for the first time. So I know that we have been chatting on and off for the last six months about you preaching at some point, and so I, we're, I'm just really glad to have him be able to share for us today on worship. Uh, and I guess I don't really have much more to say. Everyone knows who you are, so let me pass this over and, and we'll... Uh, We'll get started. Alrighty, so um, full disclosure, I'm fairly nervous for this. Um, I told Jordan that in school and stuff, I was never that nervous for speeches, but I realized that I have not given a speech or talked in front of people for probably, I don't know, 10 years, something like that, so... (laughs) um, All right, so... First of all, good morning. Uh, It's nice to see you all. Um, My name is Zach. Um, Yeah, and I know most of you guys. Um, And today we are going to be talking about worship. Um, Before we start, though, I just wanted to share a little bit of a story that has to do with last week's sermon on secular humanism by Chris. Um, yeah, a story of how that sermon actually allowed me to talk to a coworker on Thursday last week, um, and talk about God a little bit. And it was it was a pretty pretty cool thing. Um, I don't know. For me, there's not a lot of times when like I feel like the message from a sermon directly translates into my life in like a meaningful, impactful way. But this was definitely a moment where I was like, "Oh, hey, that's pretty cool." Um, So yeah, on Thursday, a coworker and I were talking about politics and culture. Um, As the conversation progressed, we essentially found ourselves talking about secular humanism, like describing it, talking through its implication in the world. Um, I realized this because of the sermon from last week, And, and I stopped, and I was like, hey, last Sunday, someone from our church gave a sermon on something called secular humanism, and I think that's what we're talking about. Um, (laughs) uh, My coworker looked at me and smiled and then said, I know. I have secular humanism listed as my belief system in my social media bios. Um, For those of you who don't know what a social media bio is, ask someone younger than you, and they probably do. Um, (laughs) Essentially, it's just a snapshot of, of... your beliefs, who you are, Um, yeah. But I thought this was really cool, that the fact that the sermon translated into a conversation I had during the week um, and prepared me for that conversation. God prepared me in that way. Um, So yeah, so be encouraged. God is preparing us um, for the days ahead. Um, He's fortifying us uh, before the storm hits. He's humbling us before we have a victory, Um, He's giving us words to speak, Um, so yeah, I just wanted to share that quick. Now, on to the topic I am super excited to talk about, worship. Um, Yeah, so this is a little bit strange for me because I have not had a very consistent experience in my life with worship. Um, How I worship has changed a lot from the time I was young until now. Um, And full disclosure, most of the substance of this message, the theology, is not coming from me. It's coming from a guy named Daniel Block, professor and author. Um, So if you're interested in the theology of worship more and want to take a deeper dive, I'd recommend watching his full lecture called The Theology of Worship. You can find it on YouTube. Um, It's a two-part deal. Um, I'm not going to reiterate the full two or three hours, whatever it is today. Um, But yeah, another, um, so he wrote a book as well um, on the theology of worship. Um, And then another person I'll be um, referencing is someone called Edith Humphrey. She is um, an author as well, a scholar, um, who also wrote a book and talks about the reasons um, why the church's current state of worship falls short of biblical, the biblical picture of worship. Um, So yeah, anyways. So my story with worship um, starts kind of ever since I was a child. I was terrified to sing in church. I went to a very big church too. And so even though there was thousands of people there, I was still terrified to sing. Um, Essentially, I spent most of my life um, lip singing to the Lord um, I don't know if anyone else can relate to that, um, but that is the reality of it. Um, yeah, and honestly, sometimes I still do. Um, I think, you know, I don't know why worship leaders feel the need to sing as high as possible and keys that nobody else can sing in, um, <laughs> but, but that's the way it is. Um, probably one of the reasons why I'm at this church, you know, the, uh, the guy that sings up here sings in my key most of the time, so so uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, in all seriousness, um, I fall into this trap frequently of believing that worship is all about the music. I'm likely not the only one here who has judged the quality of a church by the quality of their worship. Or judge the strength of someone's face, faith by how high their hands are raised or how loud they are singing. I'm likely not the only one who has believed that their faith was less than because singing in church on a Sunday was hard. If you can relate to this, I have good news for you. Worship is not all about the music. Music. But if this is true, why does the church fixate on music um, when we're thinking about worship? According to Edith Humphrey, it's because of these five things one, trivializing worship by a preoccupation with atmospherics. It's a fancy way of saying, how does worship make us feel? misdirecting worship with a man-centered versus god-centered focus. It's all about the worshipper. 3. Deadening worship by substituting stones for bread. The loss of word, the loss of the word of God in worship. 4. Perverting worship with emotional, self-indulgent experiences at the expense of true edifying liturgy. And 5. Exploiting worship with market driven values. The sign of a true successful worship service is Did we fill the building? Now, I know some of this is hard to hear, um, and I'm not saying that churches are evil or doing bad things, um, but this is also largely true of many churches. Um, that we see. And I know for myself, I can fall into the trap of doing these five things as well. Because of this, I think a very important question is raised, and that is, so what is worship? Worship is generally defined as this, to ascribe worth to someone or something. And this is probably why most evangelical churches equate worship with praise, verbal expressions of worth to someone we admire or who we are indebted. The problem with this is that in the Bible, the Hebrew and Greek words translated to worship don't mean this at all. The translations that we see most often, most closely, mean something like to lay prostrate on the ground or cultic service. And I'll come back to those later. From a broader perspective, the Bible portrays worship as a descriptor for all of life. So what is worship? In John 4, Jesus is with the woman at the well, and after speaking truth to her, this exchange happens. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and your people say that the place where people worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and people who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Whenever he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So what is worship? So Daniel Block outlines nine things that are worship. And I think... They definitely made me think a lot more about worship um, as I was learning about his philosophy. These things are, are this. One, we are to worship in truth. So it's probably the most obvious. Yes, there are false things we can be saying out there. There's false things we can be doing. But God calls us to worship in truth and in him. Two, we are to worship in awe and reverence. This is the, cro- the proper posture we are to take before God. Three, worship is a human response. The meaning behind this is that while God has said the universe worships or all of creation worships, um, and we can see that. Um, We can see God's being in the stars. We are not to worship like those things. We are to worship as God has called us as human beings to worship. Number four, true worship involves action. Obedience to the revealed ethical will of God must take precedent over cultic ritual expressions. We see this in 1 Samuel 15:22 when Paul thinks <clears throat> when Saul thinks that he's been obedient to God after defeating the Amalekites. But then Samuel says, doesn't the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices or does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does obedience? Certain obedience is better than sacrifice. Paying attention is better than the fat of rams. Jesus in Matthew 23, 23 says something similar to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, experts in the law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. You give a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you neglect what is more important in the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Number five, worship expresses the submission and homage of a person of lower rank before a superior. Why? Because our covenant with God is instituted from one side. God chooses the covenant partner. God establishes the term. God determines the consequences of the response. True worship lets God be God on his terms, and we submit to him in reverent awe. Number six, only God is worthy of actual worship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Number seven, true worship involves reactive communication through action. It's reactive because we could not worship if God had not first revealed himself to us, communicated with us, and showed us his character through his communication and action. Number eight, patterns of worship are not derived from the surrounding culture. Right away in the beginning of scripture, Moses essentially says in Deuteronomy twelve, twenty-nine through thirty-one, he says, You are not to worship like the culture around you. And again, in Deuteronomy twelve, twenty-nine, twelve, eight. He says, you shall not do according to all that is done that we are doing here today. Everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. So Worship is not supposed to come from our own personal whims. Worship is to be founded in theological principles established in culture. And finally, number nine, and this is what it really boils down to, is that true worship involves all of life. God offers us something much deeper than just good music when he calls us to worship him. Many songs can give you chills or make you cry, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But true worship doesn't stop when the music stops. It doesn't stop When you get to work in the morning, it doesn't stop when you get home from work. It doesn't stop when you're with your friends. It doesn't stop when you pray. It doesn't stop when you read scripture. It doesn't stop when you're in a posture of reverence before the Lord. True worship involves all of life. So I know we talked about specific specific worship in the beginning um problems with the church and worship that we see in our culture today and I just want to say that I I don't want to necessarily criticize those things here today um because Because those are also people that are trying to be truthful and honest in their worship and it's not all bad and there are many times when I'm in the car by myself singing much too loudly to a good worship song by Hillsong or Elevation or whoever sometimes crying sometimes just in awe and I think that those experiences are good as well. But God calls us into a much deeper, much more full, much longer lasting worship of him. So to close out today, I just want to take a minute or two to have us reflect on what worship or what it means to have worship be a descriptor of your life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let us sit here in silence for a few minutes. Some people get weirded out when things are really quiet, but I tend to enjoy it a little bit. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to sit here in silence for a few minutes, just in prayer, whether that's talking to God or just listening to God or reflecting on what he has for you. Then we'll be back, um, and I'm gonna read one last scripture or two to end things out here. So let's take a few minutes to pray. Close out, just have one more verse here to read. And then we can all go downstairs and get some refreshments and have some time in community. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And with that, Think that's it. This is a project of the Capital City Church in the West Seventh Community of Saint Paul, Minnesota. Find us on Instagram at Capital City Church STP, or visit our website for more information at capitalcitystpaul.com.